This week, all about COPD exacerbations. Hello and welcome to The Rounds Table, a weekly podcast about major new research in medicine hosted online at Healthy Debate. My name is Amol Verma. I'm a resident in general internal medicine at the University of Toronto. And today I am thrilled to be joined by you, you and only you. That's right, dear listener. Uh, This week it's just me and you. And I'm going to be talking all about COPD exacerbations and the brand new release of the gold 2016 COPD management guidelines. So it's that time of year, it's winter, it's flu season in Toronto anyway, and uh, the incidence of respiratory illness typically increases around this time. Although this year in Toronto, we've been having a very mild flu season, I've certainly been seeing quite a few patients with exacerbations of chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD on the wards. COPD, as we all know, is very important in terms of its public health implications. It's the fourth leading cause of death in the world and one of the three leading causes of hospital expenditures in Canada. Now, most internists, emergency room doctors, uh, family physicians, general practitioners will have a well-practiced approach to managing COPD exacerbations. But today I want to examine the evidence for why we do what we do. And I want to focus my conversation around the newly released, updated, gold 2016 guidelines for the management of COPD. Gold is the global initiative for chronic obstructive lung disease, which if I'm counting the syllables correctly, should actually be G-I-C-O-L-D. Somehow they've managed to turn that into gold. But regardless, I am so excited for this. Can I just say that reading this document was a bit like watching the new Star Wars movie. Like I knew what was coming, but it was just so satisfying when they nailed it really well. And I, yes, am very aware of how that sounds incredibly nerdy on so many different levels. But here are some interesting highlights from the gold uh, guidelines. So they have an updated definition of COPD exacerbations. They have new comments about spirometry and the diagnosis of COPD. They comment on the challenges with grading COPD severity. And my favorite thing in this whole document is they have an entire chapter about managing comorbid illness with COPD. And uh, I'm going to end with that. But before talking about comorbidity and COPD, I want to focus on managing COPD exacerbations because it's probably the most relevant for most hospital-based internists um, and has broad applicability for many clinicians out there. And I really just can't recommend this document highly enough. So the next time you're thinking of going to see a blockbuster movie in the theater, maybe you just think to yourself, why don't I just pop a bag of popcorn at home and read the new gold guidelines about COPD? And then your life can be as sad as mine. Okay, Um, so let's jump in. So what do the new gold guidelines call a COPD exacerbation? So conventionally, we used to speak of COPD exacerbations, and we probably still will speak of COPD exacerbations using the set of cardinal symptoms, which some people refer to as the Winnipeg criteria based on a an early randomized study that was done out of Winnipeg. Um, And these 
cardinal symptoms of COPD are shortness of breath, sp increased sputum purulence, and increased sputum volume. And, you know, some combination of those three symptoms was felt to characterize a COPD exacerbation. And some people also include a fourth cardinal symptom, which is the symptom of cough. Now, the 2016 gold definition of a COPD exacerbation, I like because it's a little bit broader. Here's what they say. They say that a COPD exacerbation is an acute event that consists of worsening respiratory symptoms that are worse than normal day-to-day -day variation and lead to a change in medications for COPD. I like it because it is a better reflection of our clinical practice, which is that you tend to get a clinical gestalt of a patient in terms of their respiratory symptoms, uh, and that this is an acute change. Um, and I like that it gets a, a little bit away from this somewhat artificial focus on three or four specific symptoms. So the gold document then goes on to outline some helpful statistics about patient outcomes who have COPD exacerbations. So patients who have a COPD exacerbation and as a result of their exacerbation, develop hypercapnia, so increased carbon dioxide levels in the blood, and acidosis, they have an in-hospital mortality of approximately 10%. Patients who need ventilatory support, either non-invasive or invasive ventilation, have a one-year mortality of almost 40%. And the five-year mortality of patients who are hospitalized with COPD exacerbations is 50%. Uh, so I have to say, reading those numbers, um, I guess it's not surprising that these are such sick patients, but sometimes when you're in the day-to-day -day details of clinical practice, uh, you can forget the big picture of how sick these patients really are. Okay, so let's talk about therapies for COPD exacerbation. So there are several mainstays of therapy. The first is obviously oxygen therapy. Uh, and I think most clinicians know that our goal is to target an oxygen saturation of about 88 to 92%. The gold guidelines recommend that we check arterial blood gases 30 to 60 minutes after starting supplemental oxygen to ensure that we are achieving adequate oxygenation without worsening carbon dioxide retention. Now, the evidence for oxygen therapy is lacking in the sense that there are no randomized trials of oxygen versus placebo in uh, COPD exacerbation, uh, but nevertheless, it remains a mainstay of therapy. In terms of ventilatory support, non-invasive ventilation is recommended uh, for COPD exacerbations in specific cases. So there is high quality evidence for non-invasive ventilation, several randomized control trials, and the indications for non-invasive ventilation in COPD are the presence of respiratory acidosis. So this is a pH of less than or equal to 7.35 and a PaCO2, so a carbon dioxide level in the arteries of greater than or equal to 45. And so I'm just going to pause for a moment and comment on the fact that both of those things are fairly mild perturbations of acidosis and carbon dioxide levels. So less than 7.35, not particularly severe in terms of acidosis, and a CO2 of greater than 45, again, not particularly severe in terms of hypercapnia. And I think this speaks to several issues. The first is that patients who are in respiratory distress and breathing quickly should be producing a respiratory alkalosis. So if they're acidotic, we should be worried. Um, and similarly, if they're hypercapnic, we should be worried. And I think the second point that this speaks to is that early intervention with ventilatory support 
can help prevent downstream complications. So when assessing a patient with COPD exacerbation, it's important to do a blood gas. It's important to assess their degree of respiratory acidosis. And also patients who have severe dyspnea meet indications for non-invasive ventilation. There are a variety of contraindications to non-invasive ventilation, which inc include decreased level of consciousness, inability to protect their airway, hemodynamic instability. So obviously, uh, we need to keep an eye out for those. When non-invasive ventilation is used in the right patients, in randomized control trials, it has been shown to reduce mortality and reduce rates of intubation. And it has success rates of about 80 to 85% in randomized control trials of preventing uh, clinical deterioration and preventing intubation. So it's a very if efficacious therapy if delivered appropriately. I'm not going to talk too much about invasive ventilation. I'll just make one comment, which is that obviously invasive ventilation is necessary in some patients with COPD. I think as clinicians, we often have a bias towards thinking that intubating patients with COPD, uh, they're very likely to have poor outcomes. Uh, and there's even something that I've you know, learned through clinical practice and on the wards, which is that it's very difficult to wean a COPD patient off the ventilator. Interestingly, the GOLD guidelines comment on several observational studies which suggest that mortality among intubated COPD patients is actually lower than mortality among patients who are ventilated for non-COPD causes. They comment on in-hospital mortality rates for patients requiring invasive ventilation for COPD ranging between 17 and 49%. So that's obviously a huge range. And they make one comment, which is that clinicians may have unwarranted pessimism about the utility of invasive ventilation in COPD patients and suggest that we not necessarily be so pessimistic. Now, uh, you know, not being an intensivist myself, I won't editorialize on this point, but just tell you that that is what the authors of the uh, gold guidelines suggest. Okay, so that's all about oxygen and ventilatory support, with the bottom line being that oxygen is good and often necessary and targeting a saturation of 88 to 92%, and that non-invasive ventilation should be used early and it is very effective in patients who have respiratory acidosis and hypercapnia. Okay, the next mainstay of therapy for COPD exacerbation is bronchodilators. Now, interestingly, there's actually not a lot of controlled trial evidence. Typically, we use short-acting beta agonist or short-acting anticholinergic medications. Uh, there are no clinical studies evaluating long-acting bronchodilators in the setting of an acute exacerbation of COPD. And so the evidence for this is not strong, but obviously these things remain as core to the management of COPD, it probably would be unethical to randomize someone away from uh, short-acting bronchodilation. The key point here is that there's no difference between an inhaler with uh, an aerochamber as opposed to nebulized uh, inhaled bronchodilator. And this has been demonstrated in randomized control trials, although sometimes, and this has been dem demonstrated in randomized control trials. There's also evidence about methylxanthines, so aminophilin and theophylline, uh, and the evidence suggests that these should only be used as second-line agents. Systematic review of 
several randomized trials of methylxanthines shows that they have only minimal evidence of benefit, uh, but they have significant side effects. And so, as is common in clinical practice, these have basically fallen out of favor. So that's bronchodilators. The next mainstay of therapy for COPD exacerbations is corticosteroids. So data from studies in hospitalized patients suggest that steroids shorten recovery time, improve lung function, improve arterial oxygenation, reduce the risk of early relapse, reduce the risk of treatment failure, and reduce length of stay in hospital. So obviously they are a core component of treatment of COPD exacerbations. The gold guidelines suggest a dose of 40 milligrams of prednisone orally for five days. And I'll just comment here that a Cochrane systematic review shows no difference between short courses of steroids, five days, as opposed to longer courses. And this was largely driven by one high-quality randomized control trial uh, that was performed in 2014, I believe. Okay, now we come to antibiotics. So the role of antibiotics in treating COPD exacerbations is a little bit less well-established than uh, corticosteroids. And uh, there is some controversy. Overall, the evidence suggests some benefit when patients have more severe exacerbations or when there is increased sputum purulence, suggesting bacterial infection. So here's the results of a uh, Cochrane systematic review of studies comparing antibiotics to placebo therapy. So there have been 16 trials with 2,068 participants. And the review found that in outpatients, so those who have mild to moderate exacerbations, there's only very low quality evidence. That low quality evidence suggests that antibiotics did reduce the risk of treatment failure. But they found that some of those studies were actually quite old. And so when they restricted the analysis to drugs that are currently available, they actually found no evidence of benefit in outpatients with mild to moderate exacerbations. In patients with severe exacerbations, as in requiring hospitalization but not intensive care, there's high quality evidence that antibiotics reduce the risk of treatment failure by approximately 25%. And just to be clear, the definition of treatment failure is that patients either deteriorate or do not improve between 7 and 30 days after treatment. So antibiotics in hospitalized patients have been shown to reduce treatment failure. However, they did not show any improvement in length of stay and no difference in re-exacerbations. We also know that patients treated with antibiotics had more adverse events, and specifically the adverse events were uh, driven by an increase in the rate of diarrhea. In terms of patients admitted to the ICU, antibiotics showed a large reduction in treatment failure and mortality. So based on that body of evidence, here are the recommendations from uh, the GOLD guidelines. So they recommend that we give antibiotics to patients who have sputum purulence and a COPD exacerbation. Specifically, uh, they say, you know, if patients have the three cardinal symptoms, so increasing shortness of breath, more sputum purulence, more sputum volume, or if they have two of the symptoms and one of them is sputum purulence, they should receive antibiotics. Any patient who needs mechanical ventilation, either invasive or non-invasive, should receive antibiotics. And beyond that, they don't comment. So for our general hospitalized patients, 
who don't necessarily have sputum purulence and don't necessarily have evidence of, say, an infiltrate on chest x-ray, pneumonia, some other obvious indication for antibiotics, it's not totally clear whether all of those patients should receive antibiotics. When patients do receive antibiotics, the recommendation is that they receive them for a course of 5 to 10 days. And the gold guidelines recommend that antibiotics be guided by local resistance patterns or sputum cultures in individual patients. So that's basically all of the therapeutic recommendations around the management of acute exacerbations of COPD. So just to quickly summarize, the mainstays of therapy are supplemental oxygen, non-invasive ventilation, invasive ventilation if necessary, short-acting bronchodilators, corticosteroids at a dose of 40 milligrams of prednisone orally for five days, and antibiotics in select patients, specifically those who have more purulent sputum or more severe exacerbations. And just to wrap up this summary of the uh, new updated gold guidelines, I want to talk a little bit about their chapter on COPD and comorbidities. So we know that most existing clinical practice guidelines don't actually address comorbidity in our patients, but we also know that the vast majority of our patients uh, have comorbid illness. So with COPD, the most common comorbidity is cardiovascular disease. But interestingly, uh, the gold guidelines comment on other comorbidities. They say that osteoporosis and depression are common and underdiagnosed in COPD patients. COPD increases the risk of cognitive impairment. Lung cancer is the most common cause of death in patients who have mild COPD. And interestingly, gastroesophageal reflux disease is associated with increased risk of exacerbations and poorer health status overall, although it's not clear if treating the uh, reflux actually helps with COPD management. So overall, that was, I think, actually quite forward thinking in terms of including an entire chapter about comorbid illness. Um, And it's definitely worth a read for clinicians out there. And one of the key points that's highlighted by this is that, in fact, there's very little evidence. And so this is mostly based on some observational data and uh, expert opinion around management of comorbid illness in COPD. Okay, so that was my summary of the 2016 gold COPD guidelines with a couple of sidebars uh, looking at some Cochrane systematic reviews of the evidence for why we do what we do to treat acute exacerbations of COPD. I hope you found it helpful. If there's anything in there that you do differently or that uh, you've caught me making some kind of error, let me know. Tweet at me, at Amol A. Verma. So we will wrap up our episode today with a good stuff segment. I want to talk to you about a blog post that was published by Research to Guidance, or R2G, which is a mobile technologies consulting group. So they recently conducted a survey called the 2015 M Health App Developer Survey. So this is a survey of about 5,000 people who are active in developing mobile health apps. And here are some of the highlights of their findings. They asked people what fields have the highest market potential over the next five years, 70% of respondents listed diabetes, uh, making it the most commonly cited condition uh, in terms of uh, having high market potential. 38% of people also ranked obesity, 29% ranked hypertension, and 23% ranked depression. So really, there's a lot of interest in mobile health apps for diabetes. 
Interestingly, the leading diabetes app has 30,000 downloads per quarter, which strikes me as a lot, but also not that much uh, in the sense that there's clearly opportunities for growth in this area. There are over 1,500 diabetes apps currently available. So obviously it's a highly competitive marketplace. And most of these, I guess not surprisingly, are some kind of uh, device that is interconnected to uh, blood glucose monitoring and uh, designed to improve glycemic control. So if you want to check out the blog post about the most exciting new emerging mobile health apps, uh, we'll link to it on our website at Healthy Debate. Okay, that's all from me for this week. I hope you enjoyed uh, the summary of acute exacerbation COPD management and uh, looking forward to bringing you some new scientific papers next week. The Rounds Table is hosted online by Healthy Debate. You can find us at healthydebate.ca slash theroundstable. Follow us on Twitter at roundstable or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash roundstablepodcast. Thanks for listening.